ora and welcome to RNZ's Insight Program. I'm Philippa Tolley. This week, recovery from the Kaikoura earthquake. The 7.8 magnitude quake that struck North Canterbury in November last year caused widespread damage and destruction. Eleven months on, State Highway 1 north of Kaikoura remains closed due to large slips and communities on the South Island's east coast are still picking up the pieces. With spring now underway, Insight asks how the area's recovery is progressing. From tourism operators in Kaikoura... ..to classrooms in the Hurunui district. Bye, kids. I'll see you in the morning. November's 7.8 magnitude earthquake has affected different people, businesses and communities. Whether the closure of State Highway 1 has meant a Kaikoura retailer only making $14 in a day... Well, I've made the decision to close after 12 years. It's just come to the crunch that it's just too quiet and can't keep going any longer. Or parts of quake-damaged farmland in the Hurunui district being no longer grazable for stock. Some of the farm will never be what it was, or not that how I remember it anyway. Um, you know, that's something we've just got to roll with, really. What is agreed upon is that recovering from such a significant earthquake takes time. Yeah, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And, uh, yeah, I'm not sure just how far down the track we are with that, with that marathon. I'm Maya Burry, and this insight explores the Kaikoura earthquake recovery, nearly one year on. As we drive around these streets, you'll just see house after house that has varying degrees of damage. There's quite a number of these homes are uninhabited and uninhabitable and uh, will need total, total rebuilds. Driving around Waio, inland from the east coast of the South Island, is the mayor of the Hurunui district, Winton Delhi. This small rural town, tucked away off State Highway 7, just past Colverdon, was only several kilometres away from the epicentre of November's 7.8 magnitude earthquake. Eleven months on, the evidence of the large shake is still clearly visible here. Many homes look bare and battered, with brick cladding piled up in stacks on front lawns and temporary metal fencing blocking off properties deemed damaged beyond repair. It's a difficult sight for Mr Daly, who says this small close-knit town of about 300 people has become even smaller since the quake. Well, it's meant a, <coughs> quite a, um, a movement of people away because, as you can see, there's another seriously damaged home there, uninhabitable. So these people have moved somewhere and some of them are quite quite well out of the district. No doubt that some of those families that have moved will never come back into this into this town again and they would have set up a new life for themselves elsewhere. So that's quite tragic for a small town and, and just the critical mass of people that the community needs to be viable. RNZ News at 5. Good morning, I'm Nicola Wright. Civil Defence authorities say there has been building, road and bridge damage in the Hurunui and Kaikoura districts from the swarm of earthquakes this morning. The Government Minister, Jerry Brownlee, says... The Insurance are... Council of New Zealand says since the earthquake, private insurers have received nearly 44,000 claims, of which about 32,000 are for residential properties. The total value of the claims is over $2 billion, and the Insurance Council's chief executive, Tim Grafton, says private insurers are confident the vast majority of settlement offers will be completed by the end of the year. 
Local councils report that 15 homes in the Marlborough district and 35 in the Kaikoura district were red-stickered, deemed unsafe, as a result of the quake. Empty sites are now a feature of Kaikoura's High Street following the demolition of historic buildings that faltered under the shake. But figures show nearly double the number of buildings, 74 in total, were red-stickered in the Hurunui district, and more than 30 of those are in the Waio township. Mary Kimber is the principal of Wyo School. This year, one to six rural school, established in 1877, has a role of 39 children. An Education Review Office report shows just three years ago the number of students attending was nearly double that, with 61 children on the roll in 2013. Ms Kimber says things have been tough since the quake. We were 58 at the earthquake and we're down to 39 and that was because of the rental houses that were all destroyed and people had to, had to find accommodation somewhere else. How has this community been affected by the, by the quake? Uh, we're a very stoic country people who get on with things so outwardly you often don't see the stresses of the earthquake but profoundly now everybody is moving forward but we're at the stage that that we're either disputing insurance claims or we're starting to get the work done and finding out the difficulties of getting contractors and the price of builders and the cost that they charge for travel each day and, gee, the claim's are not actually going to pay for all of that. Cliff, can you do me a favour and check the um, messages, please? Research from the University of Canterbury released this year found as many as four in five Christchurch primary school students are exhibiting symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of the 2011 quake in the city. The Canterbury District Health Board says six years on from the quake, the number of children in Christchurch needing specialist help is still increasing. Ms Kimber says she is now noticing a change in the children at her school as well, following last year's quake. We have certainly noticed the effects of the earthquake within the behaviours that we're seeing at school, just the children needing extra attention, they're a little bit more demanding. Um, Their rubber band isn't as long, so things become a problem much quicker. Oh, he wouldn't let me play with him today. Oh, it's my turn on the scooter and I wasn't allowed the scooter. So it's the little things that become big. And what kind of effect does that have on the school as a whole? At the moment, huge, because we're having to spend so much time out in the playgrounds when we do our duty, um, managing minor incidents. I'm being told by the psychologist this is totally normal, and they predicted that this is about the time it would start to happen, and we know from the data coming out of the Christchurch earthquake that this is all normal. And who are we so, going to meet? So we're going up to uh, up the Inland Road and meet with uh, Henry Pinkney, a uh, farmer. And so Henry's one of our progressive young farmers. So we're going to have a chat with him and have a look at some of the damage on his farm. See what's going on. Sounds good. Winton Daly is taking me to meet a Hurunui farmer in an area where farming, forestry and fishing are key to the local economy. In 2010, the economic consultancy Infometrics 
found nearly half of local income came from agriculture, forestry and fishing. So how are farmers faring after the quake? Here on. Here on. Here on. Bonnie, good girl. Sheep and beef farmer Henry Pinckney owns 1,400 hectares of land along the inland road, made up largely of hill country and bush. Winding its way through the farm is the Mason River, and as Mr Pinckney points out on a drive around the property, several fault lines. There's quite a few different sort of fault lines running through. We're just about to drive over one here. Um, there's one that runs up there, one runs up the centre of the farm, and then yeah, others, others going off their own way, so it's a fault line central around here. As a result of the November quake, large parts of the riverbank have caved in and slipped into the riverbed. And as the truck climbs to land higher above the river, surface ruptures have left 10 metre deep scars in some parts of the hillside. Mr Pinckney says the damage to the farm is extensive. The fence, fence damage the damage to water lines, there's quite a bit of land damage, so yeah, cracking and um, through uh, paddocks and also through hill faces like the one we're looking at now. It is significant, there's been a big change, um, it's going to affect the way we farm into the future and yes, you know, and we're not alone, there's a number of farms affected like this. Mr Pinckney is right about not being alone, just down the road is Grant Barbara's sheep and beef farm. This is just going to be an, an open living area in here, the kitchen will be down the far end. Mr Barbara is currently overseeing the construction of a barn house for his family of four to live in, after the quake left their homestead unsafe to occupy. For almost four months after the quake, Mr Barbara and his family were living in a caravan on the farm while they tried to find other temporary accommodation. No, Terry, take your boots off. Out here. With his eight-year-old son, Zach, in tow, Mr Barbara shows me around the mobile home. Boots off. So what have we got here? Um, so this is our four-berth, um, well, caravan was our home from uh, what was, yeah, the whole family was in here from November to uh, start of February. I stayed on farm right through, so I was in here till about the middle of April. Being in a in such a small space with four people, that's got to be bloody tight. Yeah, you know, we had to, um, well, we bought a caravan that had a toilet and a shower in because we knew it could be some time before we... Um, you know, had anything sort of semi-permanent and so that ticked a few boxes for us and while the weather was warm that was not too bad. Um, the kids thought it was a bit of a camping holiday I think for while well, Christmas holidays were on but as soon as the wet weather, oh, you know we were still in drought then and once the weather broke and we started getting rain of course I was trying to get with wet weather gear into a caravan it wasn't ideal and you know with mud on your boots and stuff so I started to lose interest in it a bit too at that stage. Like Mr Pinckney, Mr Barbara has some quake-damaged land that is no longer safe to graze stock on. Both farmers are now starting to consider what future uses the land might have. On some of that you know, country, it's just so cracked and unstable at the moment, that this, especially the cows, they tend to sort of get stuck in it. We've lost the odd cattle beast um, just you know, literally getting wedged in cracks and stuff. Um, if the ground's given way under it beside them when they've been walking around. So, you know, the, I think there's probably um, s some pretty good uh, cases to be looked at in terms of, you know, whether it's in forestry or whether it's just some pole plantings with 
poplars and that just to help stabilise. You know, do we um, let some of the manuka come back that we've got and look at doing something with bees? Springtime spells lambing season. Mr Barbara says with the daily running of the farm to tend to and the building of the new barn house, there's plenty keeping him busy. But he says he is taking it in his stride and despite the quake, the future of farming still looks positive for him. We might not be back to what we were in terms of what I thought we'd be farming um, before the earthquake moving forward, but I, I can't see why we still can't be um, you know, pretty sustainable and have a good future um, with what we've got here. You know, still hope that uh, financially pretty viable and, you know, farming's pretty intergenerational. We'd be hoping to pass um, something that we've put a lot of work into and we'll continue to do so, pass that on to our kids. I'm now going to make my way to Kaikoura through the inland road. This remote 80 kilometre long route was the first to be reopened after November's earthquake brought slips down on all of the routes in and out of Kaikoura, completely isolating the town. And with repairs still being carried out on State Highway 1 north and south of Kaikoura, this road is still sometimes the only way to get to the seaside town. Situated on the east coast of the South Island, midway between Christchurch and Picton, Kaikoura is a popular tourist destination. Well known for its picturesque landscapes, abundant kaimoana, whale watching and dolphin tours. Now guys, there's just a few safety things I need to go through with you, don't worry. Retail and tourism-related sales in Kaikoura are usually strongly seasonal, with visitors bumping summer sales up to 50% higher than in the cooler months. But when the earthquake struck just before the summer period in November 2016, it choked off the normal rush of tourists. Statistics New Zealand says that left sales about 25%, or $7 million, lower in the December 2016 quarter compared to the same quarter the year prior when tourism spending reached $29 million. We've just spotted a, a pod of dolphins, so it looks like everyone's about to jump in and, and go for a swim. Encounter Kaikoura runs boat tours for people to swim with dolphins and watch other wildlife. With about 50 staff during the summer season, it is one of the largest employers in the town. The 10 tourists who took to the water with me said after their dolphin encounter experience, the visit to Kaikoura had been worth it. But back on land, the co-owners of the business, Dennis and Lynette Berman, say at this time of year they would usually be doing twice as many trips. Lynette Berman says before the quake, at least half of their customers came from through traffic on State Highway 1. She says the road closure has lost the business millions of dollars. It's just really hard to put into words when suddenly your business is confronted by something that stops it dead in its tracks really 
and um, the connotations and the impact of that is just something that you've never ever confronted before. So it was very, um, it was distressing, it was devastating. In December last year, the Transport Agency reopened State Highway 1 south of Kaikoura to traffic, but the road has faced closures most weeks since it reopened due to adverse weather and ongoing repair work. With the road north of Kaikoura now set to reopen before Christmas, Ms Berman says they are looking for certainty around access. The winter has been dire, and I think a lot of that's been around uh, uncertainty around access and changing messages around that, so that's confusing for some travellers. And are you at all concerned that when State Highway 1 North does reopen, there's going to be similar on-off closures that we've seen since the reopening of State Highway 1 South? Yeah, we have a real concern about that. We're just trying to get some certainty around what we can expect because we invest heavily in our marketing efforts and the messaging we're putting out there is is being challenged all the time by thinking we've got it right and then suddenly, no, we haven't got it quite right. And the tourism industry particularly needs to have certainty and confidence around some key things around travel time, travel distances, so they can effectively plan their itineraries and their travel, their travelling, you know, details, and that flows on to affect operators like us. It's not just Kaikoura that relies on State Highway 1 to bring in business. Back in the Hurunui district, towns like Cheviot and Greta Valley have also seen a drop in spending due to tourists taking the alternative inland route to get between Picton and Christchurch. Dennis Berman says the suffering has been widespread. The whole east coast suffers. It's amazing how far the fingers of this disaster have reached. So it's not only just Kaikoura, the businesses within Kaikoura, it's the ones you know, further in North Canterbury, right along the main highway. We're not the only ones in this. There's a lot of people who are really, really suffering. Businesses have disappeared. The sad thing is people who had successful businesses in Kaikoura before the quake, their businesses were lost. They had nothing and they've had to move away. After the earthquake, the government rolled out a $17 million wage subsidy package to support affected businesses. Figures provided by the Ministry for Business, Innovation and Employment show 866 businesses from the Hurunui, Kaikoura, Marlborough and Wellington districts received payments. Once they ended in May, a $1 million earthquake grant program took its place, which businesses who are still struggling can apply for. Dennis Berman says the support from both government funds helped to keep them afloat. We were able to get through with the subsidies. It was quite amazing that we actually didn't have to put off any staff at all. And to to be able to give that comfort to the staff that they've still got a job throughout this, I mean, that was a huge relief. While a larger business like Encounter Kaikoura has been able to weather the winter, just down the road a shop displays an A4 sign. Printed on white card and bold black capitalised letters are the words business for sale. Hello, Patch Country, Rachel speaking. The sign belongs to Rachel Penny, the owner of the craft store, a patch of country, who I find behind the counter serving customers and caring for her granddaughter. Ms Penny has lived in Kaikoura all her life and she tells me she's been running the store for more than a decade. 12 years it's been going, yeah. And what do, you, what do you sell here? Oh, crafts and wool and patchwork and all sorts of craft supplies. And, hmm. 
And uh, what has it been like since the quake? Very quiet. Yeah, really quiet. Can you tell me what kind of impact it's had? Oh, the sales have probably gone down 70%, I would say, since the road's been closed. I mean, we do get a lot of locals, but we rely on the um, tourist trade in the summertime, so, which we didn't have. So we've had, like, three winters in a row. Ms Penny is one of 42 businesses in Kaikoura that has applied for the government business grant. 15 applications from the district, including Ms Penny's, have been declined. She says trying to pay the bills and keep stock up has become too difficult. Well, I've made the decision to close after 12 years. We applied for the government subsidy but were refused, so, yeah, I've had to pull the pin. That must have been a really tough decision to make. Yeah, I've only just made it last weekend. It's just come to the crunch that it's just too quiet and can't keep going any longer. And uh, when you applied for the subsidy, do you know why you, you, you weren't accepted for it? Um, because my business didn't make money the previous year. It ran at a loss, so that was the that was the decision, yeah, not to get the subsidy. And do you think that that was a, a fair decision, or, or how did you no, feel about it? No, I don't reckon it is fair, because, I mean, you, you're supporting the locals by being here, and, I mean, yeah, you may not have made any money that year, but, yeah, no, I think it should be broader than that, yeah. Do you think if the quake hadn't have happened, you'd still be open? Yeah, definitely. The Ministry for Business, Innovation and Employment says altogether 51 businesses in the Kaikoura and Hurunui districts have applied for the $1 million grant and 21 of those applications have been approved. The department's manager for enterprise and policy, Carl Woodhead, says in order to be eligible for the grant, businesses have to meet a range of criteria. This is on the the basis that public funds needed to be spent responsibly and reach the businesses that needed it most. So the criteria that we have are that the businesses had to have suffered a large drop in income as a direct result of the earthquake. The business had to have been viable before the earthquakes and expected to be able to recover successfully. The business had to have no other efficient options available. And by efficient options, I mean things like insurance, where they could have looked on other things to get them through. They needed The business needed to provide the significant source of income to the business owner. They needed to pay staff at least minimum wage. Um, they couldn't be a charity, property developer, investor or a rural farming business. And they needed to be located in the Kaikoura and Hurunui districts or in Marlborough, south of Blenheim. Since applications opened in May, $400,000 of the $1 million available has been paid to businesses. Mr Woodhead isn't concerned that less than half the money has been spent. The $1 million figure was initially agreed to by ministers and ministers were clear with us that if it turned out that local businesses needed more, they were prepared to look at providing more. So they said, um, we think this feels right, but we're not sure if it's going to be enough and if, it's, if it doesn't look like it's going to be enough, then come back to us. He wasn't able to comment on the number of businesses who had their applications for support declined, 17 in total. Mr Woodhead says minor adjustments to the criteria were made at the end of May, following feedback from businesses and those assessing the applications. I don't have any view on whether that's uh, positive or negative. What I rely on are the, um, is the, the assessment panel coming to a conclusion about whether the businesses are suitable for receiving the funding. And so you're satisfied with that criteria? Yes, I am. And what we've looked to do is um, 
we've looked to and to talk with local businesses, the assessors and the panel on whether the criteria should be modified and we have modified the criteria. And you haven't received any feedback since then that perhaps the criteria is too stringent still? That's correct. Mr Woodhead says the grant programme will end once State Highway 1 north of Kaikoura reopens. So how is work on the coastal highway progressing? We'll just get your signs there first. Basically what they're saying is that you're going to be accompanied by me around site um, and that well, I know all the risks, etc, etc. I'm being shown the repairs to State Highway 1 north of Kaikoura. The November quake brought 1 million tonnes of rubble in the form of 85 different landslides down onto State Highway 1 and the railway network between Picton and Christchurch. Of those slips, 10 major ones on the road north of Kaikoura have presented the biggest challenges. But the Transport Agency's earthquake recovery manager, Steve Mutton, says they are on track and on budget to have the road reopened before Christmas. Mr Mutton says good progress has been made on the railway line, with freight train services now resuming. We've got the rail open now. Um, and we're looking to have the road open by Christmas. But there's, there's still a huge amount of work to be done, and we'll be working on this road for another 12 months. Um, in, terms of the, in terms of the budget, we're on track within our range uh, that we gave the government, which was you know, $1.3 to $1.6 billion. Of the 10 major slips on the road north, one at Orho Point, where this digger is working, is deemed to be the biggest and most complex. Steve Mutton says while he understands businesses want certainty around an opening date, the agency can't provide that just yet. So we'll be able to give a better um, indication of the time frame sort of towards the beginning of November. Um, we've got more certainty. I mean, in November, December, the, the weather is, is a lot more stable. Um, so any delays that occur now will be weather-related. So you know, we're, next couple of months we'll be in a much better position where we can give an exact date. But you know, we've, we're fairly confident that we'll get the road open by Christmas um, if there's no massive weather delays. The Huranui Mayor, Winton Daly, says it will be a relief when State Highway 1 reopens as towns in his district, like Cheviot, rely heavily on the tourist route. But while State Highway 1 is an important part of getting the earthquake recovery on track, it's only part of the puzzle. And as Winton Daly is quick to point out, the road to recovery is a long one. We can see the good progress it's made, but we can still see the, you know, the challenges and the work ahead. So it's just really just, um, just keep, keep working, keep working and just uh, heading for that, for that goal. I'm Maya Burry, and that's Insight for this week. You can share and podcast this and other insights from rnz.co.nz forward slash insight or head to iTunes, Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. That programme was produced by me, Philippa Tolley, with technical production by William Saunders. If you'd like to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at insight at radionz.co.nz or our Twitter handle is at insightrnz. Thanks for listening.